You are listening to The Andrew Miller Show. This episode was recorded when the show had a different name. Same show otherwise. Anyway, enjoy. Welcome to Actively Aware, the one and only podcast that I know of that consistently and constantly interviews amazing candidates that the failed two-party system and the sold-out mainstream media don't want you to know about. Aside from this embarrassing, awful presidential election this year, there's more elections going on, as you know. For example, the U.S. House of Representatives. As you've noticed, I've interviewed a lot of candidates running for the U.S. House. And if you or someone you know believes in the spoiler myth, I don't, I'm not convinced that every single person who votes green would have voted Democrat if it weren't for the green. I think most of us would either not vote at all or would have, or would find a different third party or independent to vote for. But I'll pretend to believe the whole spoiler narrative for now. Okay. So let's just say, let's just say that's the case. It's not the case, but let's just say it is. So the Democrats already have a majority in the U.S. House of Representatives. Now there's 233 Democratic districts, which includes one vacant seat. Then there's 201 Republican districts that include four vacant seats. Then there's one Libertarian who used to be a Republican, but he left the Republican Party. All right. So that gives the Democrats a majority. There are only 30 Greens that I counted were running for U.S. House of Representatives. Some of them may be right and only or may have been knocked off the ballot because of these ridiculous ballot access rules or these different dirty tricks that the two major parties use to limit democracy and fight against it and give people less choices. But I counted 30 Green candidates running for the U.S. House of Representatives on the Green Party's website. So we'll go with there's 30 Greens running for U.S. House. 11 of them are running in Republican districts. And if those those districts didn't flip two years ago, they're not going to flip now. So there's nothing to spoil by voting Green there. You have nothing to lose. Then you have 19 who are running against Democrats. Now, while a lot of people who believe in this whole spoiler thing are stressing out over a third-party presidential candidate throwing the whole election by getting a whopping 1% of the vote, these congressional districts are so gerrymandered that if a third party got like 5 or 10% of the vote, it wouldn't cause it to flip because it's not all, it's not neck and neck in these districts like it is for a lot of these too close to call presidential elections. I mean, the gerrymandering is just so ridiculous that a lot of Democrats and Republicans don't really have much competition at all. I mean, because they already know that every, they basically pick the voters. The vote, they already know that the majority of everybody is going to vote for them and keep reelecting them. So if a Green got like 10% or 15% in your typical Democrat district, it likely wouldn't change anything at all as far as who wins. So there's nothing to lose there at all. And there's no chance that all 19 of those 
districts are going to flip just because there's a green on the ballot. Not happening. In fact, in New York in 2018, there was a district, the 19th district, which had a Republican incumbent, and there was a green on the ballot. I interviewed him. He's on the ballot again in that district this year, and he was even in the debates. And that district ended up flipping Democrat. So that right there disproves the whole myth that every single person who votes green would have voted Democrat otherwise. It's just not how it is. But if you do believe that, again, these district, a lot of most of these districts are so gerrymandered that at this point, the only way a green, an independent, or any other third party would make a huge difference on how the district flips or how the incumbent loses would be if that independent or third party candidate actually won. Otherwise, if they get a small percentage, it's not going to make a dent on the outcome. Whereas a lot of people will argue it will in a close presidential race in swing states, you know, believing that anyone who made up that 1% of voters who voted for the third party are people who would have voted for a major party candidate otherwise. I don't believe that because I never had any interest in voting until I learned about a lot of independent candidates and third parties, and I'm sure I'm not alone there. But nonetheless, in the US House of Representatives, if you do believe, well, that's spoiler nonsense, it's still not a wasted vote to vote green if that's the platform you agree with the most. All right, so nothing to lose, everything to gain. Now, if all 30 of those Greens did win, that would be awesome because that's 30 new representatives that are not answering to Nancy Pelosi or Kevin McCarthy. That's 30 new representatives that are not going to be spending the majority of their time or a huge percentage of their time dialing for dollars and fundraising for the next election or for the major party. And that's 30 new representatives that don't answer to lobbyists that only answer their, to their constituents and stick with the platform in which they were elected for. So that's something to think about and something to consider, something to make happen. Moving on to the U.S. Senate. I know I've interviewed Madeline Hoffman, who's running for the U.S. Senate in New Jersey. I've interviewed David Black, running for U.S. Senate in Illinois. And today, in this episode, we with Marsha Squire, who's running for the U.S. Senate in Michigan. She has quite some interesting stories to tell about what made her go green and how the Democratic Party totally turned their back on the voters in her state, totally went against the will of the people when it came to superdelegates in the 2016 primary. So let's check this out. Hello, Marsha Squire. Welcome to Actively Aware. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Ah, Fantastic. Thanks again for joining us. So you're running for U.S. Senate in Michigan. Correct. Yes. I'm running. uh, uh, I'm sorry? No, go on. I'm running. It's actually my second time running for U.S. Senate. I ran in 2018 as well. Nice. Nice. And I don't live in Michigan. I'm not from Michigan. I've never been to Michigan. But as somebody who takes interest in politics, Michigan seems to be a pretty hot spot. I mean, Michael Moore is from there, so we got to hear him talk about Flint a lot. 
the whole water crisis years ago, even during the Obama years, that made news everywhere. Uh, you have Justin Amash, who is like the one independent or third party in uh, the U.S. House. He left the Republican Party. I think he's a libertarian now. You have Rashida Tlaib, who's part of that squad that we hear about all the time, who in fact has a green running against her, as a matter of fact. And yeah, it's just, uh, in the, you know, General Motors, whether it's bailouts or outsourcing of jobs and all these awful trade deals that affect that. And then Michigan being a swing state or in a very crucial state in presidential election. So it's just, you just hear so much about it in the realm of politics. So well, do you have anything to add to that at all? Or has any of that have anything to do that motivated you to get involved yourself? Yes, actually, um, back in 2016, I first ran for U.S. House um, in Michigan's 14th district against Brenda Lawrence because um, of basically superdelegate disenfranchisement, to put mm. it in a nutshell. Um, I voted for Bernie Sanders in the 2016 primary, and all 20-ish Michigan superdelegates unanimously voted against the winning candidate and therefore against their the will of their constituents. And so I took that very personally because each superdelegate vote is worth about 10,000 votes. You know, wow. that's the mass, most massive form of legal voter disenfranchisement out there. And I was yeah. very upset with these Democrats that I had previously voted for essentially turning on me and saying, well, we know better than you, you know, and then I basically saw Bernie let them. And so I decided that the day after he endorsed Hillary, I joined the Green Party um, to run because at that point it was too late to run as an independent or um, a Democrat. And also because I supported the Green Party platform, you know, Michigan does have seven recognized parties, you know, the two major ones and then five minor parties. And I really um, liked what the Green Party stood for. I felt like it was everything that I wish the Democrats would stand for, but, or said they stood for, but don't, you know, and so basically I run against the Clinton superdelegates, because one of the other things I learned is that the Democrats frown upon challenging an incumbent, you know, Rashida Tlaib got her seat because John Conyers had to leave in disgrace, you know, she didn't challenge an incumbent for that seat. They don't do that here. Nobody even challenged Brandon Dillon for Michigan Democrat, uh, the chairperson for the Michigan Democrat Party. They um, only want new Democrat candidates to run against Republicans. And so in order to run against these top ranking Democrats from the left, you have to do it outside the Democrat Party because you know you see what they do to candidates like Tulsi Gabbard per se this year, or even like a Marianne Williamson or an Andrew Yang, you know, it's a totally different treatment. And obviously they go with seniority, which is why Joe Biden got the nomination because they go by seniority. Back then, Hillary had the most seniority in that party. Besides Joe Biden, he decided not to run. So she was the next in seniority. It's a very authoritarian party. And the Green Party isn't like that. You know, I get full autonomy with my campaign. As long as I'm within the Green Party platform, you know, the Green Party doesn't tell me what to do or how to do it or what to say or when to say it. They definitely support 
my First Amendment right to free speech. And with the Green Party, lastly, I'll just say that I, I have a bigger voice than I did as just a voter. You know, with, with smaller independent media like yourself or with the uh, surveys and questionnaires that go around and the different candidate forums that I get a chance to appear in. You know, that's definitely a, a, a tinier mic than the Democrats, but a bigger mic than when I was just a voter, you know. So I just feel like it's, I feel obligated to run against these people that um, haven't given me any reason to trust them again. Exactly. And it's especially, it is such a slap in the face to everybody who believes in democracy or calls themselves a Democrat. Because when you have super delegates, we have a state where in the primary, let's say, Bernie Sanders got the most votes in the primary. So yeah, he wins that state in the Democratic primary. And I think some, something like that happened in West Virginia too. I think it was every county he won. And then the super delegates come in, the DNC comes in and they decide, uh, yeah, for, forget all that. We're ignoring that. We're, we're going to say who the nominee is. And when it's not who everybody voted for, for that's that. not democracy. We're paying for that. They're, Big time. They're publicly funded primaries. Those major parties have it rigged so that we're paying for those sham primaries. And in the presidential year, we have to, a separate primary just for president. You know, so we're paying for a whole additional primary when we don't even really get to pick the candidate anyway. So why are we paying for that? And you can, in, 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 a, in a lot of states, not all states, some states are open primaries, but I know a lot of states are closed primary where you have to register in that party to vote in that party's primary. And right. you know, a lot but of people don't want to register the as a ballot. Party, the county clerk handles that primary. The the clerks, uh, you know, the the poll workers and stuff. Who that's not Democrat payroll. That's our payroll. Exactly. That's our our money that pays for that. You know, and I just really felt that I wasn't getting what I paid for. I wasn't very enmeshed into Bernie's campaign. I had donated twenty seven dollars twice. Nice. I didn't do any door knocking. I didn't um, make any phone calls. Um, I just voted for him. You know, exactly. so I didn't feel that. Although I felt betrayed by him, I felt more betrayed by my own Michigan Democrats. You know, I didn't really even know Bernie very well. You know, no. I essentially like I am upset with them for the way they decided that they know better than, than their own constituents. Exactly, because I know during the campaign, yeah, you, you feel like, oh man, I know there's a, I mean, you know, Bernie's campaign, it's on fire. There's people door knocking, people phone banking. Uh, if I could find myself more time my hand on my hands, I wish I could do that. I hate to say that I support this guy and then admit that I'm not going around doing all that. And then I see how they ended up treating him and how they, yeah, rigged this primary basically. And it's like, you know what, if I did that, it would have been all for nothing anyway. And that's a shame. And that, uh, discourages people to get involved in the future, I would think, because a lot of candidates dropped out too, like perfect timing, because there's no way Biden would have won that primary if everybody <laughs> stayed in and every state got the same options. Like my state, New Jersey, like voted last. So we didn't have, you know, Mayor Pete or uh, Elizabeth Warren or, you know, Kamala Harris or Cory Booker to vote for in that primary. You know, it was based by time. I mean, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden were on the ballot, but even at that point, it was already determined, oh, it's going to be Biden, it's going to be Biden. But if you vote for Bernie, you're basically voting for delegates. And it's like, all right. 
Now, I'm still going to vote. That's me. But a lot of people who would have say, oh, yeah, what's, what's the point? What's the use? It's already decided. So it's not fair how some states have like this whole menu to choose from. And then other states, it's basically called before they even have a chance at it. And then there's other states where, you know, they could vote ahead of time, like through absentee ballot, mail-in voting. And they say, okay, I have all these choices. You know, let's say Mayor Pete is someone's first choice, but Bernie Sanders is their second choice. So if Mayor Pete's gone, then they'll go with Bernie Sanders. But hey, they see Mayor Pete's there, so they vote for him. He's their first choice. And then like a day or two before the official election day, Mayor Pete and a whole bunch of other candidates on there drop out. So everybody who voted for these other candidates who dropped out, their vote goes nowhere. And if Bernie was their second choice, had they known that was going to happen, yeah, that's who they would have voted for. So uh, this thing was done dirty. No two ways about it. And also, like, even another good thing about being a Green as opposed to a Democrat is if you do win, unlike newly elected Democrats, you're not going to be spending a large chunk of your time, uh, you know, fundraising with lobbyists or fundraising for the next uh, election. I mean, that's what happens with with uh, Republicans and Democrats when they get in there. They spend like a a ridiculous percentage of their time, like dialing for dollars and then having, you know, the lobbyists or who they obviously answer to first, as opposed to their constituents. Whereas if you get elected as a green or an independent, you don't have that problem. I mean, you don't, ha you're not going to answer to Chuck Schumer or Nancy Pelosi or Mitch McConnell or Paul Ryan. So that's another right. good thing. Yeah, I would be, you know, a pioneer, you know, in the Senate. And I agree, I wouldn't be beholden to those corporate donors because all, you know, all Green Party is universally non-corporate. So it's not just me. If any of us Greens got elected to higher office and not just local, you know, that would really throw a chink not only in the corporate overlords, you know, but you're like you said, you're beholden to the party leaders too, you know, and AOC has to bend the knee. You know, she's got a she's got Nancy Pelosi and I would never want to associate with somebody like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Like the, any party that props these people up and the Clintons and and Biden is just not my party. Like oh, I don't agree with these neoliberals. I do not. The corporate Democrats is the third way Democrats that the Clinton, Bill Clinton started, you know, and I just, I didn't even vote for Bill. I voted for Ross Perot, <laughs> never yeah. a flan, fan of the Clintons. And I was, you know, I didn't obviously vote for Trump because I'm not a Republican. I'm just not a conservative. Yeah. And, you know, I have a conservative Democrat incumbent that I'm running against with a, uh, obviously a conservative Republican in second place. And then I'm in third place currently. There's five candidates. Fourth place is a even more conservative conservative that views both the Democrat and Republicans as both, as she says they might as well both be Democrats. Whereas <laughs> I'm over here on the left saying they might as well both be Republicans. Exactly. She's even further to the right than either of them. And then the fifth candidate is a placeholder candidate for our like smallest party that we have. He's not um, filling out any surveys or attending any forums. He's just a name on the ballot um, for that party. So mm -hmm. yeah, I'm running against three conservatives and a placeholder. You know, I'm the I'm the lone leftist in my race, 
But, you know, people are so fear-mongered into voting for the Democrats that, you know, I lose a lot of those leftist votes because of that, you know, that fear, that fear vote. Yeah, and, and that's a shame, too. I mean, I know there is a, another uh, Green Party candidate running for U.S. Senate that I interviewed recently, and the Democrat incumbent he's running against, you know, once Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, said, hey, there, yeah, there's uh, nothing any of us could do to block anything or anything like that. Meanwhile, you know, according to The Intercept, there's this memo that was being passed around Washington that had like a whole laundry list of different things that can be done. Because that's the one issue that a lot of blue don't matter who folks try to voter shame people about is the Supreme Court. You know, like every four years, you know, it becomes a big issue with them. And you know, yeah, this is why you have to vote for us or else. And then you see, yeah, not so much. And then you also, if you, if someone were to look at Biden's whole political career and his stances and and others he helped to nominate in there, you know, you're like, yeah, like, is it really, I mean, do people really think that's what they're voting for when I think a lot of what a lot of people think they're voting against, I think they end up voting for because of all that is what I see. Now, have you mentioned all these other candidates you're running against? Have you ever been invited to any debates at all? Um, this year, no, just um, some forums. Okay. And so far, the Republican has been a no show actually at all at um, just the same as he ran in 2018 as well, the Republican challenger. He's a standard no show. Um, and then the Democrat incumbent, he is going to be at a couple upcoming forums with myself. And then I have gone head to head or toe to toe with the U.S. taxpayers, the, you know, the far right candidate, the alt right grandma candidate um, at, in a couple of forums so far. So and then it, but in 2018, the. The candidates, you know, the major party candidates agreed to do two debates, which I was not invited to because I wasn't polling high enough. And then there was a, but there was a third debate at a Lansing local TV channel that invited all five candidates last time. And I was the only one that showed up. So I debated myself for an hour. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was basically a town hall <laughs> because right. no one else showed up, you know, and I, I like to point that out, you know, like I'm here because obviously I'm on a limited budget, you know, so I take the invitations that I get and I like to support people who also support getting out third party information, you know, not just like shorter, smaller um, podcasts, but also like local TV channels. And uh, oh, sure. last time I did a, you know, public radio in Detroit um, on 101.9, I was featured and, you know, it's not a lot of, um, like I said, my mic is tinier, but I, you know, I go to where I'm invited because I appreciate, um, organizations and people that you know want to also help get the word out there because prior to 2016 I didn't know what the Green Party stood for you know and I wish that we had Dr. Jill Stein as president right now during a pandemic you know who wouldn't want a doctor from Harvard to be president right now um you know and we actually have a green running for the 
nonpartisan race. So she's endorsed by the Green Party. Um, her name, name is Susan L. Hubbard. And that would be great for, you know, if Jill Stein would have been nominating someone like her to the Supreme Court. You know, we need green judges too, not just green um, legislators. You know, we need green sheriffs yeah. and prosecuting attorneys and green county clerks because there's a lot of um, a lot of incompetence in the Democrat strongholds when it comes to our polling and our election systems. You know, yeah. and it, it would be great if we had some some more greens um, running in their non corporate way. <laughs> Oh, sure. And, and there are some places that do have greens running for judges, because there are some places where j judges are elected, other places like where I live, they're appointed. But I, I know at the Green Party site, where you look at the database of everyone who's running in 2020, yeah, you see everything, every office you could think of on there. I mean, like Railroad Commission, there's somebody running for, there's, right. you know, Water Commission, uh, some judges, Attorney General, then Honey for U.S. House of Representatives. I mean, that's like almost everybody I've been interviewing on here. And so the options are there. Town council, town selectmen, everything. We win down ballot races. In 2016, Greens had about 36 candidates and we had five winners. Nice. For local races. And so we are building at the local level, but it does take statewide candidates like me to be kind of like a spokesperson for the party and the platform and what we all kind of stand for and stand together. And then also it helps maintain ballot access for next elections, you know, so you'll always see greens running for like the school boards, like the, the state, like the university school boards, like Wayne state, Michigan state and U of M. Uh, we always have greens running in those races because that's what helps us maintain ballot access. Um, We've maintained ballot access since the party was formed here in the year 2000. So 20 years straight, never been kicked off the ballot once here in Michigan um, due to the Democrat and Republican laws <laughs> that other other states are experiencing right now, like with the Howie Hawkins campaign, mm. not even being able to get on the ballot. Yeah, I mean, luckily he was on the ballot in my state, so that's good. And there's a green running for U.S. Senate in my state as well. So that's good. I mean, those are the only two greens on my ballot, but hey, at least there's more than one and I was able, able to vote for both of them. So that's good. And uh, back to when you're talking about the debates, there is one where finally the Democratic candidate showed up, the one, whereas, uh, hey, you have my state beat. Uh, our Democratic incumbent, he turned down one. You know, I think like this week, I believe, or next week, there's it's supposed to be like a virtual uh, debate of all candidates running for U.S. Senate in my state, and yeah, the Democratic incumbent uh, turned. They reached out to him, invited him, and he hasn't accepted it. And not only that, in the primary, last minute, he uh, bowed out of the debate he was supposed to have uh, with his primary opponent. So, yeah, that's it's just yeah, as if like everybody just owes these incumbents their votes and. Yeah, that's not really democracy at work, in my opinion. No, they're when you were supporting their wealthy donors. I actually yeah. have a funny story. This year, right. a couple of weeks ago, I work for a ballet company. I got the job the day after the election last year. I was working as a teacher part-time, hmm. teaching exercise classes for kids. Okay. And um, so I quit. had quit that job to the, the last month of the campaign. 
and I got this current job about two years ago. And so I, we valet different things, um, including private house parties where parking is difficult. You know, they'll hire a couple of valets to, to take their guest cars because women wear high heels and you don't want them walking from two blocks away to come to your party. So, you know, they'll hire us to do that or even like for a few, you know, for funerals that they're having at their house, like a wake, like a memorial service, whatever, you know, we work at other places too, but I was doing this particular event and it was actually for my Republican challenger at a mansion um, owned by a millionaire. And uh, so, yeah, I was like the valet for this wealthy donor event at a, at a house party for my own challenger. Wow. And, and um, Mrs. Pence was there and Secret Service was there. And only the one Secret Service guy came out to talk to us. John James is my opponent, the Republican. He had a chauffeur that whisked him right past us, didn't even say hi to me or us or the help, you know, and yeah. only talked to them, only talked to his guests, you know. And I told, ended up telling the Secret Service guy that I was running because it turns out he was from Ypsilanti, which is very green friendly. We had the, some of the green winner that we had was from Ypsilanti, like nice. commissioner or whatever. And um, so I told him, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you I was running for office and you can vote for me since you're, you know, a Mich Michigan voter. And he was like, oh, really? Who are you? Who, what are you running for? And I'm like, oh, just, you know, U.S. Senate against this guy, John James and <laughs> Gary Peters, the incumbent. If you want, I'm, not, I'm just saying, if you don't want to, if you want to vote for me, I'm on your ballot, you know? So I did tell Secret Service I was out there and you know, they could have and probably should have informed him that his opponent was outside. And I was actually meeting some supporters outside in the street, giving them my yard signs and taking donations and giving them T-shirts and stuff out of the back end of my car outside this mansion where my opponent is busy, you know, with champagne and caviar. Wow. It was, it was, it was pretty ironic twist, you know, and that just proves my point. Like you're not, you're, you're too busy to come to any of these uh, multi-partisan events, but you're not too busy to do that. And, but you're too busy to even like wave to the valet or offer us a meal or uh, a water or the bathroom or anything, you know, we're just out there at the end of this driveway and then also all of his guests self-parked too, which as valets, that's like the lamest gig ever, where literally all these rich people parked their own cars because they're that cheap that they couldn't even get complimentary valet and then tip the valet. Wow. It was the, it was the worst. Wow. But yet they'll throw God knows how much into that guy's campaign. <laughs> They've raised like $50 million almost between the two of them the Democrat and Republican. Last time it was like 25. This year they doubled it between him and Gary Peters versus him and Debbie Stabenow. Um, Gary is just a one-term senator. Debbie was a three-term senator already. So she's a strong, she was a stronger, you know, the senior senators. And uh, I just, I felt that last time John James if he would have actually went outside his Republican base and just quit pandering to the Republicans and went for some independent voters, 
he might have won. Oh, but sure. All these polls now are showing him trailing, trailing, trailing. And, yeah. and that's also what happens when you when you hit your wagon to like a presidential candidate. You know, like he hitched his wagon to Trump early on saying he supported him 2000 percent. And and now that's turning around to bite him in the ass with, you know, excuse my French, but no, that's OK. Yeah. You know, with the Trump having COVID and the White House having an outbreak, and this their general disregard for the health and safety, health, safety, and well-being of others. It's really, um, you know, even like Biden is looking like he might have a shot at Alaska and Montana, even Texas wow. is within reach. He's got the largest lead since like 1936 or something, and that just tells you that, like, back in 2016, I get it, like. Everyone knew Hillary's record. She was the least oh, popular yeah. politician there was, but she had seniority. And then Trump came along and he was a close second, but he wasn't a politician until he became president. Exactly. So we had no we had nothing to go on, just his, you know, record or whatever from what we knew of him prior to. Well, now we know what he's like as president. You know, now he has a track record. And I find him to be one of the most divisive presidents in history. I feel like He's trying to start Civil War II. Oh, I sure. Voted, I didn't want Hillary because of World War III, but I wasn't, nobody was even thinking about Civil War II. And he just, like, he hates everybody that doesn't support him. And he lumps everybody in as Democrats. If you don't support him, you must be a Democrat. Well, 30% roughly is Republican. 30% roughly is Democrat. 40% of us are neither. Exactly. And we're being ignored and we're being lumped in with the other side. When, I'll, Like I said, I do not associate with the likes of Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. I am not a Democrat. I'm a green. Exactly. You know? And I'm exactly. a green for a reason. I'm not like the U.S. taxpayers candidate I'm running against. She's just a failed Republican that didn't get enough signatures. So she joined the U.S. taxpayers party to run. Like I specifically joined the Green Party for a reason. It's a great party. It's global. It's in other countries. We have our infighting. We have our moments. I was a Jesse Ventura delegate. Oh, you know, sure. I'm not a super fan of the way that how he was nominated within my own party, but I'm not hitching my wagon necessarily to like Howie Hawkins. I'm out here making a name for myself and for Michiganders. You know, I'm representing Michigan. You know, Howie's from New York, so he's not necessarily like a co candidate, but um, I am one of his electors. For Michigan. Nice. So if he were to win, I would be going to the Electoral College to cast the vote. Nice. And that's pretty cool. Like I was the Jesse Ventura delegate this time. And last time I was a uh, Jill Stein delegate and I went to the Houston um, Green National Convention. I didn't go to Philly. I already knew it was a wash because he endorsed Hillary two weeks prior. There was no mm. point. That was just going to cry that he lost. Oh, yeah. Instead, I went to the Green Party convention the day after and got nominated to run myself because I was like, well, forget him then. If he's not going to follow through, I'll just do it myself. You know, I got nobody to vote for. Nobody, nobody challenges these Democrats that I can't stand. So what else am I going to do? You know, the, the Green Party needs more candidates. You know, I encourage my friends, my political advocates to run as a Green here in Michigan. It's one of the easiest ways to run and they have the best platform. They're the fourth biggest party in America. That's really good for being non-corporate and only 20 years old. 
that that is correct i'm sure there's some years where they're third like i i think it like fluctuates between the greens and libertarians as far as which is the third largest or which is the fourth largest well i think the only reason the libertarians are bigger is because they take corporate money mm. like the Koch brothers and they're all for corporate anarchy and freedom of regulations of businesses and they you know they're not exactly environmentalists they're profiteers you know so they're still right wingers they're still conservatives i agree with libertarians on stuff you know like cannabis legalization and ending the wars and um being pro-choice things like that you know sure um but definitely they take you know they were i think partially founded by the Koch brothers and they they don't they don't um they don't discourage it you know there are individual libertarians that don't and i do like those libertarians and there's a lot of libertarians that i am friends with oh sure i hung out with them on election night last time not my own party i was hanging out with the libertarians at their watch party you know i'm in i'm in good standing with the libertarian party and we have you know we have bottom unity here and um, there actually isn't a libertarian candidate running against me this time. Last time, they were actually considered a major party. And so they were on the primary ballot and you had three choices last in 2018, a Democrat, a Republican or a libertarian ballot, but they didn't get enough signatures. Mm. When you run as a minor party in Michigan, all you need is votes at the convention. So it's like about 30 votes will get you the nomination. Whereas you need 15,000 valid signatures to run as a major party candidate. There's no filing fee option for Senate. So they didn't make it last time. So their candidates that were running ended up running for further down ballot, uh, something that was more attainable. And then this year they didn't run anybody for US Senate again. I don't know why, but I appreciate it uh, because I do get a lot of libertarian supporters that also want to end the wars and are pro-cannabis, you know, both, both my major party opponents are corporate warmongers, you know? Yeah. And you know, what's worse, a lot of libertarians, they're a lot more anti-war than they are pro-corporate, you know? So they would rather vote for somebody that's, he's, you know, he's a pro-war veteran and that's just sad. Um, it is. That's why I was a Jesse Ventura delegate, and I was actually a Tulsi Gabbard supporter too, because they're pro peace veterans. Exactly. You know, he, they're all about, you know, reducing our military um, um, interventionism, and you know, I, anybody that isn't is just perpetuating this top-heavy military that we have. That's what's unsustainable, is. Um, this military and even lower down, you know, executive branch spending on the war on drugs on the low, you know, stateside. If we could just bring those back to one third of the total budget, because the executive branch is one third of our government, I think you'd see a lot of things shift towards the good. You know, we'd spend a lot less on judicial if we ended the war on drugs. Exactly. A lot more money of our own, our own tax dollars to put towards some good use. You know, our current healthcare system is our tax dollars are paying for poor people, kids, pregnant women, old people, and every single government employee there is. I have never had a government job in my life. I've always been in the private sector. So 
Those are my tax dollars paying for literally everyone else's insurance but my own. And so that's why I'm a big supporter of, you know, guaranteed healthcare, whatever you want to call it. I've been calling it a GI bill for all, uh, guaranteed healthcare and education with a community service option instead of military servitude. And, um, you know, so people be giving back to their communities while at the same time receiving healthcare and education, you know, beyond K through 12. Nice. And I know way before when you mentioned that one debate or forum you went to and you're the only candidate there, so it turned more into a town hall. Now, were there moderators there that still tried to treat it like it was a debate, like knowing nobody was there, they'd try to say things or ask things say, you know, that the other opponents would say if they were there, you know, just to see like how you would counter it or what your take on it would be, or was there just none of that at all? And it was just basically all you. Well, yes and no. Um, it was all me, but there was a few standard like mainstream media talking point questions. Mm. You know, um, the mainstream media, they want to keep you directed this way when we've got all these other problems over here, you know? Yeah. And so I was able to like redirect those questions to what we really need to be talking about. Just an example, I don't know specifically if this happened then, it was two years ago, but you know, I talk about, I did talk about it this year, um, is election fraud, you know, and we've got Democrats crying about voter suppression and we've got Republicans crying about voter fraud and dead people voting, but literally our machines are hackable from they remote are. locations and our central tabulators too. So we can vote a million votes, but if it's been preset that candidate A is getting 51% and candidate B is getting 49, then it doesn't matter how many ballots we put in that box. It's called fractionalization. And the Green Party understands that. And um, so that's one of the, you know, one of the examples, you know, they want to talk about, you know, what about voter fraud? Um, forget voter fraud. What about election fraud? You know, that's th these a teenager can hack into our election systems and like an 11 year old, an 11 year old yeah. can an 11 year old. Yeah. There's yeah, a like, hackers convention a couple years ago where they used right. an exact replica of the electronic machines they use in Florida or somewhere. And yeah, they found them easily hackable. A 11 year old who's skilled at computers was able to hack into that. So while people complain yeah. about, Oh, I read some article somewhere about a crate of mail and Barrett, ballots being found in a dumpster and some of those are true that happened two blocks from where i live you know it made it to newsweek made it all over the news but the fact is they were still recovered and the postal worker who did that uh if found guilty in court is going to face up to five years in prison for that so so the instances where i hear about that happening i also heard about the situation being rectified you know, thank goodness. Right. And let's hope there's not cases of that going on that are not being fixed and in which there is no justice or we don't know till late till it's happened. But so far what I've heard, you know, it's been fixed on the spot. Like, okay, we found them and then we're going to send them where they're supposed to get them. And the perpetrator behind this is facing justice. But uh, again, but people will still only look at the part where, oh, 
it, yeah, mail-in ballot, that's not safe. Yeah, but let's just say you went in person and used one of those computerized machines. That's not any safer, knowing that an 11-year-old could hack into those. But, right. And, you know, I back in 2016, I watched this movie called Hacking Democracy all right. uh, with Bev Harris. And that's, there was an HBO special, which kind of made me mad because I never could afford HBO. So I never saw it back in 2006 when it came out 10 years prior. And I was just so upset by that video in combination with the superdelegate votes. Um, just knowing that I never saw that movie for 10 years this information was a decade old and it was the first time i'd seen it and so that's when i really got mad at our our mainstream media and i shut off my tv i quit watching nbc i used to watch chuck todd on sunday mornings you know that was something i did and i quit doing that because i was so angry with them i felt like it's their job to give us like the cliff notes you know and once i realized like no they're giving us all these other bullcrap things to think about and talk about when we're really ignoring you know all these other important things and so i hope you know I, that's why i do support a new fourth estate you know like channels such as yourself you know because we need that too you know we need to repeal and replace not only like the help america vote act that forces us to own these privately use these privately owned machines but also the telecommunications act of 1996 that created the monopoly we're living under. You know, Trump wants to talk about fake news, fake news, fake news, but all he did was hold a fake news awards. Why didn't he repeal the Telecommunications Act of 1996? Exactly. Because it's a big club and we ain't in it, you know, and him and the exactly. Clintons were friends for decades. He was in New York. She was a senator from New York and, you know, whatever, you know, that... I tried to get, yeah, I didn't vote for him. I voted for Jill, you know, but I wanted to, you know, he was that wild card, but you know, he's a bull in a China shop and all the China's broken. There's none left. Yeah. He needs, the bull needs to now leave the China shop. <laughs> yeah. And he's part of that big club. The only difference is he puts an ugly face on it. You know, when I see people on social media bickering back and forth about him or Democrats, you know, whether, whichever they support, you know, all I do, I just like throw down that picture that has Trump and Hillary and Bill. I got his wedding, I think it is. I mean, it's a picture that you could easily find all over the place. And I just throw that there and say, it's a big club and you ain't in it. And I just walk away. I mean, it's, yeah, she's bickering not about in jail. Nothing. I thought he was going to lock her up. What happened to that? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Any day and then, now. I need four more years. <laughs> yeah, and then the swamp that was supposed to be drained is is basically his cabinet, including Steve Mnuchin, who Kamala Harris didn't prosecute when she had the chance. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and and then they're all you know they're the media, their anchor news anchors are married to politicians. They're yeah. literally all related to each other in one way or another, and you know it's quid pro quo. It is. And, you know, I'm just a working class mom that um, saw what was going on around me. And, you know, my, my, my oldest daughter, she's 18. She's now old enough to vote, nice. but she's also old enough to go to the wars we've been at her entire life. I was that pregnant true. with her on 9-11. And, you know, that, that has to stop. You oh, know? yeah. And, and as a mom, I don't start fights. I end them. 
you know, and I'm really good at ending fights. And, and so I really think that I would be a great, you know, peaceful negotiator, not only with like Democrats and Republicans and in, in, in Congress on the Hill, but with other countries too, you know, I had, I speak a little broken Spanish, some French, Japanese, you know, nothing fluent, but enough to show that I respect other nations and other cultures and other people enough to try to learn um, their way of doing things and, and, and admitting the fact that not everybody thinks the same and that everybody feels the same. And, you know, there definitely are conservatives out there in the world and people have a right to be conservatives. I also have a right to not be. Exactly. You know? So if I, I'm a proud leftist, but I'm a true leftist and a true progressive. I'm not a neoliberal. You know, I don't take corporate money. I don't take PAC money. I don't take super PAC money. I have no foreign interests. I'm a lifelong Michigander, always been in the private sector. You know, I've never, never worked for the man because I'm not a fan of the man <laughs> telling me what to do. And so I've always just have my own jobs. I do, you know, gig work, you know, like independent contractor, freelance type stuff. And so I have more autonomy over my, my, my working environment. And I'm not um, tied down to a steady paycheck or um, health insurance. <laughs> you know, it'd be nice if uh, people weren't tied to their health, you know, their jobs tied to their health insurance. I think that's wrong. Exactly. You know, we should all just pool our money together and save money by including the able-bodied adults in our yep. already socialized healthcare system that we have. Exactly. And I know you mentioned, you know, war that was started or going on when you're pregnant and now that baby is a legal adult now and that same war is still going on. It reminded me of this little, like this, uh, cartoon that is posted as a meme a lot in social media too where as like an older soldier from who fought in Afghanistan telling a younger one you know his son he says that's your turn son you know because yeah, he was there in 2001 when his son was born and now old enough son's old enough to fight in the war himself and now it's like hey it's you know fighting the same war whereas you know, someone who fought in Vietnam, their dad fought in World War II, you know what I mean? But now it's, you know, someone who's some 18 or 20 year old who's uh, on their way to Afghanistan now could have had a dad who fought in that same war themselves. Now, yeah. when you're talking about earlier on about, you know, only about 30% are voters are Republicans, only 30% are Democrats and about 40% are independent, adding on to that, you know, which I always bring up in almost every interview and everything is, you know, the what's an even bigger block of those eligible to vote are those who don't, those who sit out. So having ran for office before, I mean, is there anything that they, you do or anything the party's doing or your campaign is doing to try to tap into that uh, large pool of eligible voters at all? Or is that something that's easier said than done? Yeah, mostly a campaign like mine does attract people who otherwise wouldn't have voted. I actually just got a message the other day on my Senate page on Facebook saying she had, we're doing a lot, you know, a lot of mail-in ballots this year because of the virus. Mm -hmm. And so that actually gives people the opportunity to research their candidates 
instead of standing at the polling booth. You know, prior, we needed a reason to vote absentee. Michigan recently changed that to where you no longer need a reason. Um, but then for this year, they made it to where everyone got the application automatically because of the virus. So ordinarily, you can just get an application. It's a no, like a no fault absentee now. You don't need a reason. So there, there, this woman messaged me. She's like, you know, I just found you today. And, you know, I was looking up my, my ballot and I found you. And I'm so glad that I won't, that I'll be able to sleep at night after the election, knowing that I voted my conscience, you know, and she's not the only one. That's just the most recent, you know, I've been seeing those because we're already in our early voting stage. So that's, you know, currently um, people that are taking the time to look up their candidates that, you know, they're not necessarily knowing that much about, you know, we're politically active, but most Americans are not. You know, so now these last, this last month is when really people start paying attention. And, um, and I think that the, you know, the mail-in ballot really does help my campaign get noticed. This year, that something else that was different is people have been asking for my autographs from other states, um, like uh, Virginia and Florida, and even in the Philippines, a woman asked for a couple of campaign buttons that, you know, was one of her heroes. I don't even know this woman. I don't know her. She emailed me, you know, and that's, that's really cool that um, people are like, see me as kind of a celebrity of sorts. I'm, I don't see myself that way. I'm just a mom, like I said, just disenfranchised voter turned candidate, you know, and, um, but they, I have signs this year and I have t-shirts you know, so people are posting, there's, you know, a picture of my sign in their yard or themselves wearing my shirts. Also, um, AP News, Google, NBC News, and then two local TV channels all requested my picture for election night coverage. Um, and for, you know, for uh, like Google now has my official campaign photo. Um, so that's really cool because I didn't get any of that attention in 2018. I mean, they didn't call me for an interview. They called for my picture. So, you know. Yeah, so in case you, you get over a certain percentage, here. they could show you on the screen. Yeah, last yeah, time I made 1%. Yeah. I made 1% last time with my $4,000 that I raised. I got hmm. about 40,200 votes. And so my name was on the screen, but no one had my picture. So they put like a G, like a green G next to my name. Oh, of a picture, yeah. You know, so. Um, the fact that AP News has it, uh, and I'm actually polling. I I was in three polls out of all the polls they've done. I've been in three of them, nice. and I polled at uh, four, two, and three percent. So I'm already triple average from what I was in 2016 or 2018. You know, I've already tripled those numbers with like no money, like literally. I'm trying to run and break the Guinness Book of World Records for the least amount of money raised for a U.S. Senate win. That'd be great against $50 million. Like if I were to win on a race that's in the top 10 of like fundraising and if I were to come in and win with like the least where I don't even have to file with the FEC because I haven't raised five grand. But that's part of the thing. Like if I can't be your senator for less than five grand, then then there's something wrong with the system. Exactly. You know, and I don't mind running again, 
and it might take me a little longer to get my name out there, but I, ha I rely heavily on word of mouth. You know, it's like a family and friends campaign. You know, talk to your coworkers, talk to your neighbors. Don't just vote for me. Try to get, if everyone who voted for me last time got 40 or 50 people to vote for me this time, I would win. Yeah, definitely. So as we- As are... a third party, I only need 33.34% to win. Exactly, exactly. <coughs> As we wrap this up, is there anything you'd like to plug anywhere where people can go to learn more about your campaign or to help out? Sure. Um, I just wanted to say thank you for having Definitely. me on. Thanks for being on. And if, you, if you do want to donate, I do accept small donations at crowdpack.com. You can find me there. It's very user-friendly. You can just search by race or my name, which is M-A-R-C-I-A-S-Q-U-I-E-R. <laughs> the title of my campaign there is a non-corporate pro-peace advocate for U.S. Senate. So that's, you know, you'll see my little thing and, excuse me, I'm sorry, tickling my throat. <coughs> it happens. I don't have COVID. Just <laughs> tickling my throat. <laughs> Apologies. That's okay. But yeah, so they could go to CrowdPack or you can find me on Twitter at triple underscore Marsha, or on Facebook as well, Marsha Squire for U.S. Senate, or my personal profile, just Marsha Squire is my main, um, like my hub, and then those other places are my satellites. So, and but by all means, you know, get in touch with me, or just tell your friends, anybody you know in Michigan. And that's early spelled voting M. Has started. And that's spelled M A R C I A. Yep. And you can find me on YouTube. Um, I do have a channel where I've put some previous interviews and there's other YouTube interviewers. If you just search me on YouTube, all those smaller media interviews will pop up. Excellent. Well, thanks again, Marsha, for being on Actively Aware and best of luck in November. Thank you. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we, I've only just begun to fight. I'm I'm 45 years old, not in my 70s. I'm a Gen Xer, you know, and we've got we've got way too many 70 and 80 year olds in office. It's time for us Gen Xers, you know, to, to take the baton. It and, is, you know, and move society forward. You know, I feel like too many of them are stuck in the past. Exactly. And we need to evolve as as a society, you know. So I'm hoping that as time goes by, more of us will join. And it's been great talking to you, Andrew. I really appreciate it. Definitely, of course. And once again, good luck.